you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 112. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where we believe when your thoughts grow, the conversations in your home flow. Well, hi, guys. Uh, I wanted to share an interview that I did on another podcast with Laura Max Rose, and she was asking me she about being a stay-at-home mom versus a working mom, as a mom herself with two little girls, she's gone back and forth between being full-time stay-at-home, full-time working, and if you're listening to this episode in real time, with all things COVID and mandatory shelter-in-place directives from our government, you may be finding yourself a full-time working uh, mom who's also staying at home. So I think that this is a timely episode, even though we did record it before the pandemic and all things COVID-19. And I just think that this is such uh, an area where so many moms struggle. Like I had a mom one time ask me, if uh, she said, just level with me, which kids turn out the best. So we discuss that in this episode and we go way more in depth than I did in a prior episode where I discussed that. And so I'm hoping that this will help you in terms of what your decisions are, um, where you find yourself right now, and most importantly, to help you really relieve yourself of any guilt you have as a stay-at-home mom or a working mom or a full-time working mom who's also staying at home with her kids now because you may feel like there's never enough time, you're not doing a great job at either task. Um, and I just find that when you find when you feel so mired down in that guilt, it really that's the most exhausting thing. Like we're so capable of so much and we can accomplish so much. But when we have those ruminating thoughts, making us feel guilty, making us feel like we're sort of sucking at everything, that's where the real exhaustion comes from. So you're doing amazing. You've got this. We're going to hopefully relieve some of those swirling thoughts if you feel like I'm speaking to you. And um, and I just want to celebrate you in whatever choice that you make in terms of being a stay-at-home mom or a working mom. So hope this is helpful. You have a podcast 
on stay-at-home versus working moms. This has been personally for me, I would say 80% of the agony of my first year of being a mother was caused by this question, which is better because um, I had a working mom and it was super important to me to be more present for my child. And I ended up swinging the pendulum like way in the other direction um, into a situation that just didn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. And I was unhappy and I felt guilty all the time. And then with my second, um, I had more of resource. I had a larger home, a larger space. I was more comfortable. Um, it was, she was a very easy baby, if you will. Um, it was easier to just be at home in the beginning. And I sort of interpreted that as okay. Like I can be a stay at home mom now. And again, as she began to get older, I realized, you know, I do need something else to put my energy into, or I start to lose my mind a little bit. I'm still always finding my rhythm around this, but you do have a podcast episode where you answer the question, which one is better? And you even say like, all my friends don't kill me for what I'm about to say, but I didn't listen to it because I want you to share that with us now. I'm like, what did I say in it? (laughs) (laughs) You don't even remember. I mean, I don't even remember what I most, I mean, I really, my podcast is pretty unscripted and well, um, I love that. Yeah, it's I think that's a great message, by the way, because you have like over a hundred episodes and so many people ask me about like, when, how do I start a podcast? And I'm like, seriously, just start like use your voice notes on your phone Mm -hmm. and find some theme music Mm -hmm. on audio jingle Mm -hmm. and like just put it together and do it. Well, Mm -hmm. I don't know about this and I don't know that. And it's like, just start. It doesn't have to be scripted. But I guess if you were to answer the question organically now, you can have a whole new, I bet it'll match your last answer. Probably. Um, I've this. I have uh, one of the women on my team, Lindsay, and she has created our content library in our community where she goes through like all my coaching calls and, and she literally like pulls out clips so that we can kind of organize it by, um, by subject matter. Mm -hmm. So sometimes she'll like, she'll say, she'll like say something to me and I'm like, Oh, that's, I love the way you just said that. She's like, I'm an expert. I've been listening to two and a half years of coaching calls, creating a content library. Those were words from your mouth. I'm like, I said that? She's like, yeah. That was... <laughs> I was like, does that make me obnoxious? Sometimes I read my own Instagram captions, like old, and I'm like, what? Like I, I came up with that? Or really? like I said that? Or I'll write something. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway. I did it. I, I'll tell you my book. Yeah. I, you're writing a book. Has it? It hasn't been released yet. No, I have a book out. I'm, I'm, I'm <coughs> just, me. I'm just starting to write in that, that nice framework that I just taught on the last episode is going to be my next book, which it turns out is sort of a prequel to the book that I already wrote called the parent gap. So no, I have had, a you've book already out. published the parent. Yeah. Gap. The parent okay. gap's been out since like 2017. So I've been retroactively listening to your podcast. So I was listening to one saying it was coming out soon. That's why. Yeah. It's yeah. been, it's, it's been out for a while. So, um, Wait, so what was the point? So oh, the you... working mom and stay home mom. Okay, so yeah. the, so I I think that it's interesting. I had a mom and she was exactly where you are. Yeah. And she had she was, you know, fortunate enough to a have, mother you were working with. Yeah. Not your own. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who was fortunate enough, a mom in my community. Um she was fortunate <laughs> enough. <clears throat> she was fortunate enough to have the luxury to choose. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause a lot of people aren't like, you know, no. they're like, Oh my, it must be nice. Um, and she's like, just level with me. Like which kids turn out better. 
Oh, and I'm I, dying to hear this. And I said, it, the kids that turn out the best are the ones that have the mothers that are living their best, truest life. So if that means, Oh God, I just like, I'm the happiest person in the whole world. (laughs) I mean, I can't, what a perfect answer. I can't tell you like, you know, they say like that old saying, happy wife, happy life, which is sort of sexist and gross. It is. But like, there's also something to that. I mean, it's true. Like both directions. So it doesn't have to just go the happy wife, happy life commentary. But like when I think almost especially women, are living their best life and doing what they really want to be doing, everyone is happier. Yes. We set, you know, it goes back to the last episode when I talk about being the pack leader. Yeah. So we set the tone. It taught, you said it, it starts at the top and it trickles down. Yes. So if you're a stay at home mom, because you're like, okay, I swore I was going to be this kind of parent because I wanted my mom to be more present. Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And so I was going to grow up and be the super present, engaged room mom and host all the things and, and be the head of the Girl Scout troop or whatever it is. And so we have all these dreams and visions and, um, and then you come into it and you find yourself like terrible at hosting the parties. That was me. (laughs) She's raising her hand. I mean, like I was the stay at home mom who was sort of like, okay, I'll sign up to be the room mom. Okay, I'll sign up to host the party. Okay, and now that I'm running a company, I'm the first person to tell you, you do not want me covering details. Like, I am the worst. Not your thing. I'm a terrible hostess. I'm, I'm terrible at, like, feeding people on a large scale, putting together the details, planning ahead of time, sending emails, like... I have crazy amounts of emails in my inbox. I am not organized. Like I have other things that are super in my wheelhouse. That is not. And then I used to joke. I was like, maybe I need to get a job so I can hire an assistant because I like, I don't really have a reason to have an assistant, but I'm kind of terrible. I like, I knew that I was terrible with all the details. Mm -hmm. So I would sign up for things because I thought like, like, why wouldn't I, I signed up for this role and it never lit me up. I didn't feel particularly good at it. Right. I had a sense of dread in my body when the teacher would tell me, okay, well, you just need to coordinate this party and send these emails and find how, like, I, if you have a sense of dread in your body, I call it the straight jacket feeling and I write about it in my book. So it's your body, your body's always whispering to you. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about all the things that you do as a stay at home mom, or that would come from being a stay at home mom or working parent, either one, and you feel a sense of dread in your body, that is your body telling you, no, do less of that Mm -hmm. and more of something else. So, so my body, what I didn't know to listen, but my body was always whispering that I hated all those things. Right. And what I finally came to was, and how I ended up being a volunteer in the classroom, like going and hearing the kids read or going on a field trip. Um, and then ultimately training teachers and helping them with classroom management is because I'm a, I like to engage with people and have real conversations and kids are super honest and literal, especially when they're little kids. Mm -hmm. So what I learned really early on was 
it's super fun for me to actually be with the kids and be with the teachers. So if I volunteer in that way, I'm not the party thrower. I'm right. not the gala chair. Like I don't, don't ask me to go get auction items. That, oh my God. Yeah, no, that's not my forte either. Don't have me figuring out menus. Like I'm an eat to live person. I don't like, I'm terrible at that. Yeah. So, um, so I would just say you got to check in with yourself. And if there's anything I can leave you with, it's if it feels like a straitjacket, the thought of doing whatever task, if something feels like a straitjacket, if it mm-hmm. feels like a straitjacket, sitting in carpool line and picking your kids up every day. If it feels like a straitjacket, schlepping them to swimming lessons and getting all the bag together and doing all the things, then chances are you are you got to find the work outside the home that feels meaningful and impactful and purposeful. Because this is what I tell in my mom community within Mastermind Parenting. I'm really proud of the fact that I, I won't curse on here, but I say there's no BS, but I use the real word. Yeah. Um, it's the only female community, mostly female community. We have dads too, where there's no working versus stay at home mom divide. And there is, Ooh, there is a divide. We have zero divide. Yeah. And um, let me tell you something. We have affluent stay at home moms mm-hmm. who are, you know, maybe not even avid volunteers. They're, I go to yoga and I their best life. and I I have coffee with friends and uh-huh. I love it. Yeah. And then I have moms who are physicians and um and lots of business owners and um and are out there just grinding away. Mm-hmm. And there is zero competition or ego involved because we realize we are all so similar. If we're living our best life, we don't feel the need to do the whole stupid one-upmanship. Right. And um, and we're all kind of, you know, sourcing each other. What would you do with this and what would you do with that? And the truth of the matter is there's plenty of stay-at-home moms who have all day, every day that they could be present and engage with their kids, and they're not. They're well, scrolling on Facebook or Instagram <laughs> and and very busy and they're not, and there's moms who are, I mean, I talk about my physician moms cause some of my physician moms are my biggest action takers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll literally be on a coaching call and they're like, okay guys, they're paging me from the OR. I got to go. And they spend an hour and a half with their kids every day at the end of a long day. And they're soup, they're present and engaged for that hour and a half, like yeah. nobody's business. And they have rich relationships. So it's not quantity, it's quality. it's quality. But there are some, this is something that was so freeing for me to understand is that there really are, there are women who stay home with their kids and they love it. And it is what they really want to be doing yeah. all the time. Like maybe they're on their phones a little bit or a little bit too much, but like for the most part, it's genuinely what fills them up. Like they feel purpose from that. And like to understand that that is not me and that when I was doing that, I kept thinking there was something wrong with me that I didn't feel on, like full from only doing that. That gives me so much joy, but it's not the only place where I derive joy. And I found that I was doing things because I felt like I should be doing them. Right. I also was trying to like earn my stripes in my household. Yeah. Like I cleaned, like I windexed all the glass in the house today and like my husband could care less about right. the glass and that's why I married him because I'm not a windexer. Like I'm not really that great at cleaning, but all of a sudden I really wanted him to value me for those types of things. And he was like, 
thank you, but like he can't even tell. (laughs) And it creates all of this unnecessary tension because I'm trying to convince myself that that this is what I'm supposed to be doing because I do feel like I'm in a straitjacket. So the only way, like my salve for that feeling was like, well, I'm doing the good hard work and this is going to pay off. And I think the hardest thing to hear is like, listen, if you do love doing this, it's wonderful. And to be that present with your kid, it's great, but it's actually not going to make that much of a difference if you're sitting here miserable and you can't even really pay that much attention to your kid because you feel like you have to be here. Now, there are women who are stay-at-home moms out of necessity. Like, it's really expensive to send a kid to daycare and going to work, the price would cancel itself out or what have you, or it'd be more expensive and it just is a family decision for them to stay home. And, like, I empathize with that, but I feel like those there are these communities probably of stay-at-home moms that kind of convinces women that, like, that's where they're supposed to be or, like, that's the only option and... I think you can be in that situation and still know that it's not like there's more around. There's more on the other side of the rainbow. Like your kids are going to get older. They're going to start school and it's okay that you don't find all of your happiness doing this. And I think even just that knowledge, like even if you don't have the option to go out and go back to work again, if that's what would make you happy, just knowing like it's okay if this doesn't completely fill you up. I think it's just self-worth, you know, I think it's having this conversation of, why do I need to be defined by what I do? Right. Right. Like, can we just feel valuable for being a human being instead of feeling like we need to be a human doing? Yeah. There's so much of that in motherhood. Like that affluent mom who's doing yoga and shopping and having fun with her friends all day. Like she's just as valuable as the one who's at home, who's like scraping away and doing all this stuff. Like, we just have to be here and like do our best and we're not judged ultimately by how much we do. And there is such a, there's such a misconception I think around that that's making so many of us really unhappy. Well, I think it's when we're true to ourselves, when we, when we are, if, if, if we like, like I have a really good friend who I have a couple really good friends and it's like, they're happy in their lives and it doesn't need, they don't want it to be complicated. They, um, they don't aspire to work outside the home. Like I have this one, my really my bestie, 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 like we just love each other so much. And Mm -hmm. she moved away for 10 years and then she moved back. So it's just like a honeymoon all the time. (laughs) And, um, and we'll say, we're like, we're like, we're so lucky to have each other because it's just that unconditional friendship. And, She'll say to me, when we first started becoming, our girls are now 18, but we became friends when they were three. So we've been good friends for 15 years. And, um, and so we were stay-at-home moms before she, for five years before she moved away. And we would drop the girls at preschool and we would go walk and we would talk a million times a day and, you know, and we loved each other. And then she moved away and now she's back and like, I'm doing some stuff. Uh And, um, and she'll say... Ugh, what have you done? Recorded four podcast episodes today, made dinner for your family, blah, blah, blah. You know, like she'll do, she'll do this like little beating up thing. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. She moved back here. She has a 93 year old father in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. She goes to lunch with him three times a week. Wow. She is this 
kind of nucleus of her entire, like her, she's got two brothers. Her mom passed away when she was young. She's an amazing mother to her children. She is just this like, like this beautiful human who takes care of people. When you're having a conversation with her, she would never look over your shoulder to see if anybody better was walking up. She is present. She's like just a beautiful human. I'm like, you are not allowed to undermine the work you are doing in the world. Yeah. You move back here. Do you know that you were making your dad's last years here on earth so precious? Like you have prioritized him. Like I haven't seen very many daughters ever do. Yeah. I can't say that I would be you, you know, like, and so don't act like me recording some podcast episodes and, you know, doing X, Y, and Z it trumps what you're doing. No, I kind of hear that. I I hear that from, I get that feedback from people a lot Mm -hmm. that I do a lot, but I'm like, I really honestly call me selfish, but I do all that stuff because it makes me happier. Right. And that's the only reason why I'm doing it. And I'm not doing it to prove a point to anybody. I'm doing it so I can stay sane. Like I need to have a creative outlet. And I also know that when I was sitting at home and I was cleaning all day, like all my creative energy was going into that. It's kind of like creative to organize stuff. Yeah. And by the time I was done, I like didn't have any juice left for the stuff that I really loved. So I think it's just like figuring out, we put so much pressure on ourselves to just be doing everything all at once. And, and especially with social media, there's just this added pressure. Well, yeah, it's the compare and despair. That's when she was going, I was like, no, 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 this is not happening on my watch. Right. There's no compare and despair yeah here like you're not doing that that's not who we are you're living an amazing life I'm living an amazing life we get to enjoy it through each other it's a beautiful thing there's no need to tear yourself down or to make yourself feel like your self-worth yeah is defined by you know having some kind of impressive resume or proving to the world that you have value Well, your response really perfectly answers the question of why, like there are so many articles you could find in either direction of whether or not a stay at home mom or a working mom is best. And the working mom, like everyone always feels like what they did was best if they end up having happy kids. But the reason for that is that they were happy doing what they were doing. So before I go on, I want to ask, I've got a few questions from some audience members who sent me these last night when I asked my followers, if they had any questions for a parenting coach. So one of them wanted to know, what do you do when your kid is mid tantrum and can't hear you or calm down? I want to be supportive of feelings, but I also don't know how to get her to calm down enough to process. So I have a feeling this is probably like a two or three year old. I'm just going to guess, but even if it wasn't, how would you answer that question? So whenever I hear the, the word get, Mm. it's always an indicator that there might be more control on the scene than we tend to need <laughs> realize. Like so, um, because you can't get anyone to do anything, uh-huh. right? Like for, that's first and foremost. And, and when you try to get them to do things, um, it, it's quickly going to turn to manipulation. Okay. I'm going to go back to the last episode when I talked about the state, the obvious tool. So when you have, so when we go through the nice framework, the nice solution, mm-hmm. okay, when we get to the I, they investigate all behaviors, communication. So when you have a child that's in meltdown mode, they're in the lowest part of their brain. They're in that state of fight or flight. They cannot hear you or think clearly. Mm-hmm. And the goal is, is if you can communicate effectively with the pack leadership and the empathy, 
it helps them to move up in their brain. Because as humans, we co-regulate with each other. So it's sort of like, you know, when somebody yawns and you yawn too. Mm -hmm. So we have mirror neurons and we can't help but like, like vibe off of each other. Right. Okay. So what happens when we have a kid that's out of control, we usually vibe off of them by feeling hysterical ourselves. We, we, and we want to reverse that. Right. Okay. So the way we reverse it is we go through that framework. We go all behaviors, communication, Q-tip, Q-tip, Q-tip. This is not about me. This is not about me. This is not about me. And then when we move into the pack leadership and the empathy, go to the state, the obvious tool, which is you just state exactly like your face is red. Your voice is screaming. Your body is, your fists are pounding on the ground. You seem really mad. Use it as an opportunity to teach them about their emotions. Well, you want to help them to move up in their brain because anything you say to them when they're in that state of fight or flight, yeah, they can't hear you. Right. You're wasting your breath. Okay. So the goal is, is that if you, you know, if you want to actually teach someone new skills and help them get through something so that you stop having this groundhog day moment of just the same problems over and over and over again, Uh they need to be in their thinking brain so they can hear you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So empathy is like the secret sauce that moves them up in their brain. When you like, think about when you're like super upset and you call a friend and you just start seeing red, you're pissed. Yeah. And they're like, Oh sister, I'm so glad you call. I've been there. I don't have the answers for you, but you seem super upset. And I want you to know I was exactly where you are yesterday. I've got all day. You tell me, just vent, talk. Tell me, I'm here for you. So when somebody is like, I get it, I've been there too, and I'm going to hold space for you. I'm right here with you. I got all day to stay on the phone. I got nothing going on. You just vent away, sister. Sometimes it's just about giving them, like, it's not about ending the tantrum. Like the tantrums, tantrums do not last forever. And it's just about kind of being there. Right. right. It's So it's the same thing. So if you're in that place of you're seeing red and somebody shows up for you like that, Mm -hmm. How does it make you feel? Yeah, it, it makes me feel like oh, I'm going to be okay. Supported, yeah. yeah. Like, I, like, oh, I can, all right, okay. You know what? And by the end, and a lot of times that person, if it's like a really skillful person, you're like, I feel so much better. And the person's like, I didn't even say anything. Yeah, they're just, they were there. They listened to you. They were just there. That's brilliant. So I love that. When we state the obvious, when our kids are in that state of fight or flight and they're going like, screaming crazy meltdown and we just state the obvious you you seem really upset and we bring that your face looks like this your fists are like this we help them to start moving up in their brain because it's all it's like we we make them aware of themselves not in a shameful way but mm-hmm. just in a noticing way mm-hmm. and then when they start to move up in their brain and you're just there holding space and then you'll notice they start to whine Mm. Okay. So now they're moving the wine. They're moving up. The tantrum becomes a wine. And then you're like, oh my gosh, wait, I can almost understand you. When your voice matches <laughs> mine, I can hear you. This is important. I want to yeah. know. You were so upset. Tell me. Well, I, you're like, oh, okay, wait. <sighs> Tell me so I can hear you. Yeah. Because this is really important. Mm-hmm. So that low and slow voice is super effective and grounding pack leadership. So I took that breath. I didn't say take a breath. 
Because nobody, when they're out of control, nobody wants you to tell them to breathe unless you want to get punched in the face. Yeah, I need to remember that. So I'm guilty of that for sure. So you take a deep breath. This child who you've just drawn attention to what's going on with them, so you've empathized by stating the obvious, they're moving up in their brain. They're now whining. Mm-hmm. You're, you take a deep breath. Their mirror neuron kicks in, and they start to kind of breathe too. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking low and slow, which is super grounding, and it basically says, I'm holding space. I got you. I got all day for you. And you're like, this is super important. Tell me. Tell me what was going on. Well, you're almost there. I can almost understand you. Match my voice so I can really hear you because I can tell this is super important. Mm. And then they tell you what it is. And then you're like, uh, you empathize. And then you just state the obvious more. Oh, so you wanted the red lollipop and the doctor gave you the green one. And you were super disappointed. Ah, that's what it was. And they're like, "Mm mm-hmm. You're like, you had your hopes on the red one. Yeah. And, like, yeah. and a lot of times, just like that friend who didn't give you the answers. They just help you understand how you feel. You're just like, well, you had your hopes on that red one because red's your favorite flavor. Yeah. And green kind of tastes like, ugh. I had a re- I had such an interesting revelation that was around that recently. A few days ago, my, my oldest daughter is very, very attached to mommy. And whenever daddy comes home, when she's with mommy, she gets mean to daddy. This is like not necessarily new. She's kind of always been like this. I don't want to say hi to you. I don't want to give you a hug even before he asks. And it's always really hurt his feelings and it's uncomfortable and annoying and frustrating that she does that. We've tried different things around it. You know, it's important to say like, but obviously we haven't figured out what it is that's really bothering her. So the other day, and this wasn't my idea at all, my husband stopped when she was doing that. And I was kind of horrified. Like I was just thinking, this is so unacceptable. You cannot say this stuff to him. And he stopped me before I got into that. And he said, Selma, did you think that daddy was going to take mommy away from you when he came in here? And she said, yes, I don't want mommy to leave. Hmm. And he, you know, when he walks in the room, I give him my attention. And she obviously notices that, which I hadn't even thought of. And he goes, I'm not taking mommy. I just came in here to see both of you. Mommy's going to stay in here with you. I just wanted to say hi. And she goes, I'm sorry, daddy. I love you very much. This has now happened two times in a row where she's like seen him, had that reaction. And he stopped and said, like, I'm not going to take this personally. Q-tip. Because we've been taking it personally for like three and a half years now. So he so he investigated. Yeah. He Q-tipped. Yeah. And then he communicated with empathy, which is basically he said, I see your perspective here. Let me say what I think your perspective is. And it's sort of like, well, you know, when you read a blog post or something and you're like, oh my gosh, that is that person in my head? Right. Like you just feel like they so get it. Yeah. So he said, he guessed and he was right. And so immediately she felt connected to him because she was like, exactly. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, well, guess what? I just want to say hi to both of you. And then she apologizes and appreciates that he understands her and sees her perspective. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really, and I think where I get wrapped up so much as a parent is like, she's now said all these things to him that are not socially acceptable in a normal sense. Like, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. And I'm always kind of focused on correcting that. But what I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that 
yeah, I can go back after and say, you know, next time daddy comes in here and you feel that way, you know, maybe um, you can just know he's just coming in here to say hi. And if you don't want him in the room, that's okay. But maybe we could find some other words to describe that because the ones that you're using are, are hurting daddy's feelings, whatever it is. I've also kind of come to find that like these things sort of work themselves out. The less threatened she feels, the less likely she is to say stuff like that. And maybe if I focus more on that, like the rest of it kind of works out. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of things. Number yeah. one, we got to connect before we correct always. I love that. Elizabeth Miller is a psychotherapist who was on this show and she said the same thing. And I had so many messages. Oh my God. I'm like putting that on my mirror. Connect yeah. before you correct. You got to connect before you correct. And, um, and the other thing is, is model the behavior you seek. So what you focus on grows. So if you focus on how she's behaving in an inappropriate way with daddy and blah, blah, blah. You're just going to get more of that behavior because actually three-year-olds, they don't care. Like she's already admitted. She wants as much of mommy's attention as possible. Mm -hmm. And so she, she wants as much of mommy's attention as possible. So she doesn't care if it's negative or positive attention. Mm -hmm. She, all attention is attention. So if she be, so it's actually, this could be a pattern that has been created that helps her to get a lot of mommy's attention. Cause all of a sudden I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so we, we accidentally do this where we'll put a bunch of focus on a certain negative behavior and we accidentally reinforce that negative behavior because what we focus on grows. Yeah. So they learn at three. Oh, cause if, you know, there's been studies where like kids learn Kids hear the word no exponentially more than they hear the word yes or uh -huh. things that they're doing right. So they learn a lot of times at the age of three, there's a lot of bang in their buck when they have these misbehaviors. Mm -hmm. So if she wants as much of mommy's attention as she can possibly get mm -hmm. and, she, and daddy comes home, which usually means now she's going to have to split mom's behavior with dad, mm -hmm. but she's learned this interesting tool for, for getting more of mom's attention, even when daddy gets home by just being mean to daddy and saying all these things that are sort of mortifying to mommy. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't she keep doing that? Right. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. that's what she's doing. And so what I would do is when she comes home and she says those things, as much as she says those things, I would focus on your husband and, and disrupt the pattern by stop, like, don't even put outsource the response to him. <laughs> no, I would just put focus the attention on him. Yeah. She's like, right. get out of here. You're like, honey, I missed you. Tell me everything about your day. We were just doing daddy, get out of here. Okay. If you want to be in here with me and daddy, we're going to be talking about our day. Then kind words need to happen. I'm talking to daddy now. Would love for you to join us, honey. Tell me more and focus, hyper focus on him. Mm. The first couple of times you do this, she's going to have a meltdown. She's going to freak out. Okay? okay. When she freaks out, I would ignore her as much as possible and continue your conversation mm -hmm. with him because we really want to disrupt this pattern. We want to disrupt the pattern of she behaves this way. We drop daddy and attend to her. Ah, yeah. So focus, focus, focus on him. And then as soon as she calms it down, then be like, oh, are you calmer? Well, come and join us. We would love, let's all catch up on our day together. 
I want to hear all about what daddy did. And I bet daddy wants to hear about what we did. I'm going to tell him about it unless you have a better way of telling him. And then it becomes the three of you. And since your husband really gets it, Mm -hmm. like he already intuitively knew to kind of do it. I I would stop giving her so much airtime with this pattern. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I love these responses. Mm -hmm. So speaking of husbands, the next question that I got is a question I've had many times and I hear all the time, which is what if my parenting style is different from my husband's, my spouse's. Okay. You do you. You do you. Yeah, totally. Love it. Go ahead. Again, we model the behavior we seek for everyone. Everyone. For everyone. And no one likes control. Our kids don't like when we try to control them. Our spouses don't like when we try to control them. I also think this could be the single like largest cause for like marital strife in the first year after having a baby is like, I think whatever, for whatever reason, especially us as women, we feel very strongly that like our spouses should be doing things the exact same way that we do them. And like, it feels so terrifying that like they don't want to listen to us when we give them instructions about what they should be doing. And we start to think that they're not, you know, that somebody else would be doing it a different way, that they're not doing it the right way. We get really critical towards them. It, it, it makes the cycle continue. Well, yeah. And we get so, you know, look, that primal part of, especially as women, yeah, we're like, Mama bears. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're mom. I'm super guilty of that. Yeah. Like I mama bears. Mm-hmm. And what I will say is, and this is going to be a little sexist, it's but okay. men, you know, if you bring that primal part of the dad equation, like as the, the cave dad, uh-huh. right. They're very solution oriented. Okay. So I don't think this is sexist. I just have to say that because okay. you just said it was going to be sexist. And then I said, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, I said, it's like, okay to be sexist. That's not even what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I am so, I don't think that this is sexist. What you're saying. I think it's so valuable because mm-hmm. I think that men and women bring, we are equal, but we are, we bring things biologically, we bring different things to the table and yeah. that's biological. Right. And if we could have more, if we could stop expecting to be the same, we would be so much happier. And right. I just, yeah. Anyway, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that, um, you know, I think that, that since men are so kind of naturally wired as problem solvers, mm-hmm. what, you know, if you think about it, like if you have a hard day, I know many women relate to this where they'll say like, Oh, the worst day. And your husband will be like, quit that job. Like, why are you doing that podcasting stuff anyway? If it's stressing you out, forget it. Right. Right. Or that's how they kind of operate. Right. And you're like, I don't want to quit it. I love it. I just (laughs) want to vent about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and so they're just super solution oriented. And I think like, I use this story, I've used this story several times where my husband years and years ago, I remember hearing him from the other room. He was like helping one of the kids get on their pajamas and he was like, do you want to put your right foot or your left foot? And so he was using two positive choices, you know, which is a tool that I teach all the time. And I'm not the only parenting person that teaches it. Yeah. Um, it's just, you don't care whether they choose their right foot or their left foot. But it's what shoe, not do you want to put your shoes on? It's which one? <laughs> well, you, yeah, you don't care if they choose the red or the green yeah. ball. You don't care if they put the right or the left foot. Right. Either one's fine. But yeah. it's super empowering, especially for like three and four year olds. Yeah. And so I heard him 
you know, doing the PJs. You want to put your right foot or your left foot? And so I heard him using the tools in the other room and he comes back in and I'm like, I saw, I heard that bedtime went pretty smoothly over there. What was going on? He's like, I don't know. I was just doing what I've heard you say. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, really? I was like, what, what, what made you? He was like, well, it seems like you always get out, out of there in half the time that it takes me. So I just figured I better just do what she's doing. Cause it seems to work. Yeah. And so I could have tried to convince him all day long to positive choices. It's really important for their spirit. Right. It will empower them and blah, 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 blah. And it'll teach our daughters that they can have a voice and they will grow up and they won't ever have a boy take advantage of them because they've always had choice in the world. Uh-huh. All these you things. Know, I could go, because I can go on that feminist soapbox and then some, or I can just freaking do it and model it. And he's like, huh, I really want to get them to bed so I can go and watch what I want to watch on my, you know, whatever. And so he just was like, that worked. Okay. I'm doing that. So I say, you do, you don't try to convince, just do it. And once you start getting results, they'll follow suit. Well, it's so freeing to hear you say that because I haven't read a book or heard anything that says that I should be doing that. Like you said, you, you do you, but after a while I kind of realized like, yeah, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to stop nagging you because it's making my life miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also realized that as much as I think I bring everything good to the table, there are so many things like that thing that he did the other day with Selma. Like, is this, you know, when he was able to level with her about why he didn't, why she didn't want him in the room. That is an instinct I would not have had. Mm-hmm. Um, when I stop nagging him, I'm able to see what he actually brings to the table. He has about 500 times more patience than I do. Mm-hmm. Yes. His bedtimes take like four hours longer than mine, but mm-hmm. like, I don't want them to take that long cause I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. He does. So I kind of see things more from that perspective. Like we're not supposed to be there. She doesn't have two Laura's as her mom. Right. She has both of us, but right. we do learn from each other. And I think that's really cool. So next question from the audience, how do you start teaching right and wrong from the get go? I think this plays into a lot of the things that you and I, we've already talked about, but how do you, how do you teach those values? Like initially, I think a lot of parents of really little kids get really concerned about that because you don't even know who your kid is yet. Number one, you model the behavior you seek Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Model, just do it. Like moms wonder why their daughters get wrapped up in teen, you know, in uh, middle school drama. And then you find out the mom's been a part of this exclusive Mahjong, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the kid's been hearing all this exclusive behavior. Oh, yeah. You know, they learn, they're watching us all the time. They're listening all the time. So if you want your kids to be kind Uh and to know right from wrong, number one, follow the nice solution. Yeah. You know, model the behavior you seek. It's never going to, if you're yelling at your kids to listen, to not be violent, to stop hitting, and you're using aggression to overpower their aggression, you're accidentally reinforcing the exact behaviors you want to do away with. Yes, exactly. It's like the definition of insanity. You're modeling it for them. Yes. So model the behaviors you seek. The other thing is, is, and this doesn't come naturally for us. Mm -hmm. Language is powerful. Words have meaning. Mm -hmm. And so I always say, come from a place of yes. So it's, you know, if you see a kid running by the pool, you're going to yell, don't run, don't run naturally instead of walking feet. Right. 
And what I found is you can retrain your brain to ask for the behaviors you want versus focusing on the behaviors you don't don't want. Like listening ears, walking feet, gentle hands, like, like just get that into your vocabulary Uh because what you focus on grows. So if you're constantly telling them what not to do, they're just going to do more of that. Yeah. Uh And frankly, little tiny kids have trouble with contractions. So when you say like, don't run, don't run. They hear like, run, run. And it's like, don't think about a red car right now. Don't think about a red car. They're just hearing think about red car. That's so interesting. Yes. So there's a lot of science behind that, which is you retraining yourself to come from yes language and, and asking for the behaviors you seek. I've had so many, I've had two people actually come up to both of my daughters before when maybe one of them is being a little bit kind of feisty, but it's nothing I would even so much as acknowledge. And they'll say, oh, don't fight with each other. I don't think my kids ever heard the word fight come out of my mouth, but it's so interesting to see like that that's where so many of us go. Like she doesn't even know that that's what she's doing. Right. She's literally just like being kind of feisty with her sister. Right. And I see the wheels turn in her head when an adult says that she's like, I could see her like I'm fighting. And it's just, it's it's this new like identity almost that she takes on that. Mm -hmm. She's like fighter. Mm -hmm. She's like somebody who's doing something bad. And I, I totally see what you're saying. It is, yeah, like, and, and, and that's the hard part. Like, other people come up and look, this is when you mama bear and you focus on your own kids. So, somebody comes up and says, don't fight. And somebody comes up and you go, these are, you guys are two sisters that love to play. And some, even though we're girls, sometimes we play a little bit rough, but we're very respectful of each other. What's, what's our word, sister? What's our word? If it gets too rough, what's the word for if it gets too rough? So you have like a code word. Mm -hmm. And so you ignore that other adult, but you basically just, it's like when my daughter was little, I had a thing where this was another, this was a mistake I made where I went overboard with it, where I didn't want my daughter to think ever that like her value was based on her outer appearance. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So from the time she was a little bitty, if somebody would come up to her and talk about how pretty, cause that's what they do with girls, yeah. you know, uh-huh. you have girls. Yeah. Um, whenever somebody would talk about how pretty she was or she's so tiny or whatever, I'd be like, Oh, and she runs really fast and she's really, you know, <laughs> kind of went overboard with that. Yeah. Um, to the point that when she was like 13 or 14, she was like, do you think I'm pretty? I, my mom had the same experience with her mom. Actually, her mom, her mom would be like, she's just really smart. She would always, she didn't like people calling her daughter beautiful. And my mom ended up asking my grandmother that same question. And so I actually, where I might have other in- instincts otherwise, when people call my daughter beautiful, I'm like, you're so beautiful. I mean, cause I heard that, you know, growing up that like, that was not the way to handle it. But I know I have so many moms sort of tell me about telling their kids that, you know, immediately just jumping into like, it's about inner beauty and like, just, okay. Yes. Right. Like enough or like, or like enough. And so I know, she's like, but like, she's just like, let her yeah. enjoy the moment where like somebody's yeah, like, she was beautiful. like, she was like, do you think I'm pretty? And I was like, gorgeous inside and out. She's like, I know, I know you think I'm beautiful on the inside. I'm talking about the out. outside. What do I look like? She was yeah. like, do you, and I was like, I mean, isn't it sort of a given? She's like, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. And, um, and so it was, it, it's been a funny conversation over the years. Cause my husband, I love certain assessments. And so in the love languages, 
words of affirmation uh-huh. are not high on his love language at all. Interesting, yeah. So he literally has told me and my daughter like that we're pretty like never. Yeah, and, um, it's not his thing. And yeah. so we were busting his chops recently. I just, I'm like, whatever. And he's like, but y'all are pretty. Don't you just know that? Don't you just know? And she's like, it's nice to hear it sometimes. He's like, but it's just, you just sort of are. You know, and so it's been a hilarious conversation for us, but I'm like, no, I totally went overboard with that one because I didn't want you to be defined. I knew like, and then she looked at pictures. I think it was right around her bat mitzvah and she was looking at pictures from, you know, the slideshow or whatever. And she was like, it was like, she had never really seen herself. And she was like, I was so cute. Yeah. She really could like, she was like, I was really cute. Did people stop you and tell you I was cute all the time? I was like, yeah. And I always was like, and she's runs really fast and she's really smart. She knows how to read. Um, she's like, Oh God, brother. So I I feel like so many people can probably relate to what you just said. Yeah. So I can't believe this is going to be our last question. It's a composite question because I've just so loved talking to you, but I'm, I'm asking the best one that I think I have left, which is comes from your Instagram. Someone asks, their three-year-old is out of control. Every single day, I'm yelling. What can I do? That's not even my question. My question is actually for the parent who has that question, who's listening to this, who's thinking, oh my God, it's too late. I yell at my kid every day. I'm so frustrated. I love my children, but I, I've, I've already done too much damage. Mm. Can't start now. Um, I've had this feeling so many times. Mm -hmm. Um, I have it with my youngest all the time that like I haven't given her the kind of attention her big sister got. It's too late. She's turning one tomorrow. She hasn't even had a whole year on the planet. What do you tell parents who think it's too late? Oh my gosh, it's never too late. Like as humans, I mean, I'm 49. If all of a sudden you do not look 49. (laughs) Um, if all of a sudden somebody like in my life that I love came and was like, I want to do it differently. You know, I'd be like, okay, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. And think about what our kids see when they watch their parents change and evolve. Yes. Instead of thinking my parents are never, they're never going to change. They're never going to grow. I'm stuck with this. Right. Right. How great to see, like for kids to see us actually take an initiative to be better. Yes. It's like, if I heard somebody say that who has a three-year-old, I hear it more with parents of teenagers. And that's a great question. What do you say to those parents with teenagers? Yeah. If you've got a three-year-old or a one-year-old and I mean, I still will say, gosh, I wish, especially with my oldest son, I would have known how to attune more to him when he was a little teeny tiny baby. Mm -hmm. And then I remember like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a saying I heard Oprah Winfrey recently. She was quoting a lot of people. Do your eyes this. light up? Is it the Toni Morrison quote? That's my favorite. Go ahead. Well, this one's the, the, oh, I love that. When your child walks, in when your child room. walks in the room, do your eyes light up? Yeah, I love that yeah. one. This was my Angelo saying, when you know better, you do better. Yeah. And I would say, I think when you feel better, you do better. Mm. Because I know a lot of parents who think they know better, but they haven't yet realized how to feel better. So the parent that finds themselves in that triggered state, Mm -hmm. yelling a lot, I would say you deserve compassion. You deserve 
to, to, to get to find the resources and the tools to feel better. Because when you feel better, you won't be the yelling parent. The yelling parent is just a sign that there's, that you deserve to feel better and you're in a triggered state a lot and it's for a reason. And so, you know, I actually was thinking about that when you know better, you do better because I think that there's plenty of parents like who listen to my podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And they think they know better, but they don't know how to help themselves out of that triggered state because it's a process. You have to really, you have to heal from some old stuff. You've got the whole, I'm fine. Why do I need to do it any differently? Is like, are you really fine? Because if you're screaming your head off like a lunatic on the reg, you're not fine. Yeah. There's something to figure out there. And and you deserve to feel better. Because when you feel better, you won't be screaming your head off. And then you'll be happier and your kids will be happier. All and like, of it. And it all comes down, I think, to like self-care, taking care of ourselves in basic ways, less than basic ways. But we're so wired against that. We're, but it starts with self-compassion because yeah. you have to realize... When I feel better, I'll do better. And I, I, I'm finding myself yelling. Like if I beat myself up or I think it's too late and I have a feeling of hopelessness, right? like that's just me beating myself up and shaming myself and abusing myself. Right. And if I'm already, you know, coming to this place of finding myself getting triggered, finding myself yelling because I'm not feeling good. Mm-hmm. Why would I add to that cycle? Don't I deserve more? So even just starting that conversation with yourself, that is the start of the self-care movement because that's self-compassion. That's saying being a human is messy business. And you know what? I yell because I get triggered and I get triggered because there's some unresolved old hurt within me and that hurt deserves to heal. And we don't talk about this stuff in our society because it sounds kind of like, you know, like it sounds uh, woo woo sort of right. And it's like, but the truth of the matter is every human wants to feel better. Yeah. We and do. The reason why we feel like it's so weird to, to take care of ourselves in that way is because like, it's more normal in society to just push it under the rug or to act like, you know, none of that stuff actually or matters. Closet drink. Right. I mean, <laughs> I can't yeah. tell you. No, there's a lot. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because that is definitely the way I feel like we're starting to cope with those types of feelings because it's become so much more socially acceptable to do so um, that we are just like, it's like normal to kind of be an alcoholic. It's becoming very normalized. And I, I don't yeah. say that out of any type of judgment actually whatsoever. Or, or an addicted pot smoker. I'll tell you, um, I can't tell you how many people because now it's like you can't smell it. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many, I, how many moms I've found out that are, and I'm not, my kids make fun of me when I try to use the right terminology. Cause I'll be like, you know, when they're do, when they're doing the jewel, which now that I don't do that cause of the whole like lungs collapsing. But like when I'm like, when you're vaping the pot, they're like, it's not called the <laughs> pot and it's not called the, <laughs> the marijuana, the yeah. marijuana. Um, but I can't tell you how many people are inhaling and exhaling all or drink, you know, waiting till five o'clock when they can start drinking that first glass of wine and that turns into a whole bottle night after night. This is more prevalent than we realize. And I say this with zero judgment whatsoever. I actually have super addictive tendencies. So it's just 
our way of coping to and and allowing ourselves to feel better. Right. So, you know, I sort of hate the term self-care because I think that it's been made fluffy. It's been commercialized. Yeah. And it's, it's like, like a face mask now. Yeah. It's not a face mask. It's not. Yeah. It can't look. I love a massage and a bubble bath. Um, but it really like, let's just start with self-compassion, which is I deserve to feel better. And if I'm yelling at my kids or feeling out of control in my body, exhausted feelings of dread, like there's something to heal from and to figure out. And I deserve to feel better as a human. I deserve that. Yeah. Looking at it that from that perspective, instead of like, yeah, either there's something wrong with me or this is something I have to do that I don't want to be doing. Um, I think it's just like a much more compassionate view, but I do think more than more of us than we realize, like we're not like we, we thought we were fine when we were kids, but like the way that things are now, like the pressure that's on each of us individually, it's also not really working either. Like right. we're not really coping that well. If you look at the statistics and it's like, oh, I look out there though and nobody else is taking time for themselves. Well, like most other people like are really struggling. I mean, there's a lot of struggle and like to take a step out and to be courageous and to decide to take care of yourself and to honor yourself and to listen to yourself. It's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel selfish and it's going to feel strange because it's completely the opposite of what we've been taught and what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. But if we want something different, you know, we have to do something different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it it can be hard, but I guess it's worth it in the end. It was so wonderful talking to you, Randy. Thank you again for being on my show. Thanks for having me. And everyone that was Randy Rubenstein. She is the founder of Mastermind Parenting and she's a parenting coach. You can learn more about her at mastermindparenting.com and follow her on Instagram as well. Thank you for listening. Are you ready to start having productive conversations? Have you been listening to the podcast for a while and you hear me go through my three-step productive conversation process to solve any problem and you're thinking, how does she do that? Guess what? I made a really cool resource for you guys. I call it the problem-solving one sheet. Okay, it's one sheet front and back, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it will walk you through how to have productive conversations and you'll practice and before you know it you'll be having productive conversations all day every day it really is the solution to solve any problem so you can download it at mastermindparenting.com forward slash problem solving all one word that's mastermindparenting.com forward slash problem solving all one word